Good evening, everybody. It's so nice to see you all. And what a beautiful New Year's Eve. Could not be more glorious. Fresh snow, but just enough. Cool, but not too cold. Sparkling, clear, and here we all are, sparkling and clear. New Year's Eve is a time fraught, fraught, you know the word fraught, right? Fraught with all kinds of implications and expectations and kind of burdens. What does it mean? Here we are at the end of the year, about to begin a new year. And how are we making this transition. So most people um, try to do so in as, uh, what shall we say, absent a way as possible. (laughs) (laughs) So lots to drink and loud parties and going from one bar to another, etc. So here you all are. What's the matter with you? (laughs) We all have this feeling that brings us to a place like this on New Year's Eve. And that feeling has something to do with our intention for our lives, our intention for the world, right? We might say that more than ever, the significance of being present, not absence, but present, is of paramount importance. I think not just New Year's Eve, but every moment of every day, we all feel that we, and not just in the room, but we, this whole planet, we are on the brink, right? We really are on the brink. Oh, probably in Tang Dynasty China they felt the same way. At any one time in history, we might say, we are really on the brink. 
And indeed, when you think, oh, this precious life of how many years? Perhaps some of you know how many years you have. (laughs) This precious life. At any one moment, we are truly on the brink. We just don't know, right? So to have some real intention about New Year's Eve means to have true intention for our lives at every moment. And this is a time when we can gather and feel the strength, the strength of numbers, the strength, after all, people who are doing this here tonight in the Zen Center. This is just one place all over the world. People are gathering in Buddhist temples and sitting and deeply thinking about what this life is all about. What are we here for? What can I do? How can I offer myself to this suffering planet? So to have this happening, not just here, but so many places, so many Zen temples will be chanting as we will be tonight. The Enmejuku Kanongyo chant to the great Bodhisattva of compassion. And as many of you know, we chant 108 times this short 10 phrase Kanon Sutra. 108 times. And this 108 is a symbolic number. A symbolic number for our delusions, our habitual tendencies that get us into trouble. And what happens in chanting this Kanon Sutra 108 times is that those 108 habitual tendencies or negative conditions of mind are transformed through that chanting into lucid awareness, into acts of compassion. That flow, that flow naturally from that awareness generated by that chanting. So this tonight, what we are doing here, starting with that private, that personal purification ceremony that most of you did in the other building at the fireplace, and with that awareness of delusions, of ego-based, habitual, negative thoughts, words, deeds, 
building upon that, coming in here, sitting in silence, letting everything drop away, feeling this extraordinary peace, and then chanting, invoking the power of compassion, not from some deity, but from within each one of us, this transformation occurs. I'm sure you noticed when, if you were writing something down on a piece of paper, things that you wanted to uh, cast away, burn up. I'm sure you noticed that all of them had one thing in common. So, anybody? What is that? Attachment. Hmm? Attachment. Attachment. And what is that attachment based on? Hmm? Who said that? Self, right? Self. What is that self that we all so firmly believe in? This is really when we start looking at all the things we would like to be free of. We look at each one of them. Attachment to self, right? What kinds of attachment to self? Anybody? How does it manifest? Attachment to self. Greed. So greed. Somebody wrote down greed, yes? I'm not trying to embarrass you. (laughs) Everybody has greed, of course. All these things, we look at them. Why do we act this way? Why, over and over, are we plagued by certain things that we seem to be stuck with, that seem to be shaping our lives? And we don't even notice it normally. It's so nice not to notice it, right? (laughs) Who wants to notice? I don't want to. But we come here and we come. Really, this is what we're doing here, right? We're noticing. We're paying attention. Another word for meditation. So notice. We're paying attention. Aware. What's going on? How come I always think, ah, it's out there. How come I always think it's my circumstances? How come I always think it's her? It's him. If she didn't do that, if he weren't like that, I'd be fine. Everything would be perfect. Come to see that even when they become absolutely wonderful to us, there's still some problem. So it all comes back to this self. We come here and we experience in the sitting that we just did, something quite remarkable. 
we might call it peace, right? At least for about 35 minutes, we're not engaging in arguments, maybe inside the mind, but at least there's nothing being said that is aggressive, nothing being experienced that is aggressive. Am I right? For the most part, we are all sitting here with a minimum of aggression. (laughs) Now, irritation, of course. (laughs) Annoyance, yes. What's wrong with him? Why doesn't he understand? We've been sitting too long. Things like that. (laughs) But a minimum of aggression. And even when these thoughts arise, we can see them as, again, what you said, attachment to what you said, self, right? That in itself is quite remarkable. So we say, okay, this is good. I like this. It's peaceful. But what we are doing this practice for is not some momentary temporary lack of aggression, not some personal relief, but something, what I said earlier, something quite remarkable, utter transformation. The suffering world can only be healed if each one of us is willing to put ourselves in the way of whatever is happening right here, right now. Putting ourselves right here. Not shying away. Not saying, well, I can't really do this. I'm otherwise occupied. The mind is otherwise occupied all the time, right? to say, okay, drop it, requires a great deal of energy, of strong motivation, determination. It doesn't happen like that, and then everything's fine. It's practice. We have to keep coming at it. And I was reading in an old issue of Shambhala's son, I've been trying my great effort toward the new year is to clear my study. So I've been making piles and piles of things. Now I have a pretty nice clear study, but the hallway is impassable. (laughs) So part of my clearing activity was to say I don't really need to keep every single copy of Shambhala's son, every single copy of Tricycle. That's what libraries are for. Well, anyway, I kept a few. So this one is from September of 03, and it has a beautiful picture of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, on the cover. Another reason it's hard to part with. So here's what he says about motivation. Right from the beginning, 
or what we mean by right from the beginning, means right here, this very moment, right now, okay? Beginning, right now, beginning, okay? Right from the beginning, it is crucial to harbor no illusion of a swift and easy path. So some of you may wish to leave. <laughs> but you know, we can't go anywhere. Where are you going to run to? As a spiritual trainee, you must be prepared to endure the hardships involved in a genuine spiritual pursuit and be determined to sustain your effort and will. We don't want to hear that. Truly. Everybody's very polite and just sitting here and I'm saying that, but really this is not what we want to hear. We want to hear that it's easy. Do whatever you want. Relax into whatever your life is and everything will be fine. Actually, that's what this practice is all about. That's the paradox. Unless we have this strong effort, strong determination, strong motivation, we will never be able to realize that we can just relax, that this is it. How wonderful. There's nowhere to go. But to get back to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, be determined to sustain your effort and will. This is the amazing paradox of spiritual practice. There is nothing to do. And we must be determined to sustain this effort and will. He goes on, you must anticipate the multiple obstacles that you are bound to encounter along the path and understand that the key to a successful practice is never to lose your determination. Such a resolute approach is very important. This is a wonderful statement. We must always come back to this. It's so easy to think, well, I'll just do, uh, I'm really busy, uh, I don't really like, uh, I can't, you, you know all these things because you've heard them yourself, right? You've become pretty good at saying, we all have become pretty good at saying, well, yes, but. But as we know, we are on the brink. To live with this awareness requires strong, fierce determination. Each one of us must be I will use another paradox, must be a warrior for peace. Peace doesn't just happen. Fundamentally, there is 
nothing but peace. But from a relative perspective, everyone is tearing at everyone else. And we are responsible. We can't close our eyes. We're all in this together. We all go down together. I was thinking about the great Zen pioneer, Nyogen Senzaki, when he was among many, many Japanese who were interned in the camp, a concentration camp of Heart Mountain, and thinking about what it was like for him on New Year's Day. And he wrote a couple of poems that I'll read you because I think they convey this feeling of no matter what, this practice, steadfast, determined. The first one is called Heart Mountain, which was where the camp was located. Morning haze gives an illusion of California. The east wind promises the coming of spring. Within the snow-covered plateau of internment, evacuees can go no place else. They can admire only the gorgeous sunrise beyond the barbed wire fence, above the hills and mountains. I was reading in today's paper about this physicist who's at Cornell, maybe some of you saw the story, who spent 10 years in labor camps in uh, Siberia, who was in inconceivable hardship, freezing, starving, beaten. And not once did he lose the intensity of his focus on this amazing fundamental truth that he called physics. His mind focused completely beyond the barbed wire fence. And here's another Speaking of war and peace, this is called Spring Message. Man makes enclosures by himself when he thinks himself separated from other beings. Bars, as such, should be taken off. The sooner the better. One hesitates and loses time in vain. Nothing disturbs the unselfish man who harmonizes with heaven and earth. He goes freely like a floating cloud or running rivulet without fighting. Learning how to do this, how to go freely like a running rivulet is really what we do in what we call meditation. We learn it over and over again, each 
moment, each breath. I was also reading today a very interesting article by a Tibetan teacher named Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche about dream and sleep. Dream, the nature of dreaming, and sleep. And he speaks about negative and positive karma. And then he speaks about liberating emotions. And he says... You may ask why it is better to liberate emotion rather than to generate positive karma. The answer is that all karmic traces act to constrain us, to restrict us to particular identities. This strange creation we call the self. Then he says, the goal of the path is complete Liberation from all conditioning. So a wonderful statement. If we just write this on the wall at home, the goal of the path is complete liberation from all conditioning. Going back to what we did earlier, writing down some things that we wanted to let go of, throwing them in the fire. See, this is conditioning, okay? All these things that we would like to be free of. This is what we mean by conditioning, karmic traces. What we are here for is the liberation from all conditioning. This is true peace. Not just a temporary feel-better peacefulness, but true peace, lasting peace, to enter into this liberation from all conditioning. And he ends this essay Because karmic traces are the roots, when they are entirely exhausted, only the pure light of awareness remains. Only the luminous, fundamental nature that is absolute reality. This is why enlightenment is the end of dreams and is known as awakening. So not fraught, not burdened, not obscured, not conditioned, just as we are here tonight, as we begin our chanting, of Kanzeon, invoking our own Bodhisattva of compassion nature. This truly is 
what we can offer with our short, our precious incarnation as a human being. How remarkable this is. So let us truly taste and appreciate this great gift together as we enter into 2006. Let us give of our Kanzeon consciousness, our true Bodhisattva heart, freely, never for a moment forgetting that it is not about some separate selfhood, that we are all this one wondrous being. So thank you for being here.